This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is the Mindful Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Vic. Excited that you're here. This podcast is all about diving deep into the mind and understanding this experiment or this game we call life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Vic, and you're listening to another episode here on the Mindful Experiment. As this week, I'm releasing an episode that I had in a wonderful conversation with uh, a man who has risen up, made, broke through barriers to achieve the success of what he seeked, and then he will share his story on the other side of success and what that looks like. I had the honor of interviewing Martin Sawa, and he is a first-generation Ukrainian-American, former San Francisco real estate power broker and author. Um, We dove into a lot of different topics, discussing how devastating loss forced him to reevaluate the meaning of success and how the impact of love, family, and religion and race shaped the metaphoric zeotrope of Martin's own American dream. He comes to, he's a son of poverty-stricken Ukrainian immigrants who, as a teenager, sold hairbrushes door-to-door. Martin later quit a stable 9-to-5 job to try his hand at the high-stakes world of San Francisco commercial real estate in the early 80s. As the demand of the job required more and more of him, Martin found himself in the grip of alcoholism. It would take a tragedy to pull him out of it. Martin is the author of a new book, The Other Side of Success, Money and Meaning in the Golden State. It's an account of the new American experience told from the perspective of a first-generation immigrant who made the American dream a reality. We dive deep into these concepts. We dive deep into the stories, what he went through, when he got to the other side, what did that mean, 
What can, what is that shifting the perspective of success and what does that look like and what did he have to go through? Learn his lessons of what he went through so that we don't make the same, but also to help us thrive in success in a more deep and more fulfilled way. So I really enjoyed this conversation with Martin. It was a great, a great episode. I know you're going to find a lot of wealth of knowledge in here as we discuss a ton of different things. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode as I had the pleasure of interviewing Martin Sawa. Martin, welcome to the show. Hi, Dr. Vic. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to have you on. Uh, just talking a little bit before, I know we're going to have some good conversations. Uh, there's some gelling already happening between us, same wavelength. So uh, I'm excited to share all this with the listeners and what you're going to be sharing um, to help us elevate our life in some way, social, shape, or form. So thank you for taking the time. Um, one of the things is my listeners already know this. I like to get right into things. So what is your story that led up to what you're doing today? I, I would say the story is about a young man, the son of immigrants, who chases the American dream, then finds out there is more to life than meets the eye and writes a book about it. Uh, I would say the subplot is uh, putting skin in the game and learning the hard way and learning about life and business at a high level, race, religion, life and death. It's a good story, uh, fast paced and a lot of action and adventure. Now, was it, you know, when you're, when you're talking about all this, what was like one of the things in your journey was like a, a big aha, right? Like something, you know, you, I come from an immigrant family and it's one of the things where, you know, I wanted, I saw the struggles of what they went through, the, all the hardship that they went through and, and still do to this day. And it was one of the things where I was like, I'm not going to let that be me. And I chased this dream. Right. And then you get there and then it's like, wait a minute, did you kind of have that experience? Yes. My, my parents grew up in Ukraine in the years before and during World War II. And so they lived under Hitler and Stalin. And it doesn't get any worse than that. And I was actually conceived in a displaced persons camp in Austria, where they lived after the war and birthed on US soil. So I grew up in a small town in rural Wisconsin. And uh, there was uh, the worst imaginable in America was better than the best that they had left behind. So that was kind of how I grew up. Wow. And so that did that spark that, you know, that that, that that's Stalin and Hitler. Wow. That's yeah. that's, that's hard. The um, left and the right. You get, you get both. <laughs> and so did that like what, what was that like your thirst to thrive in your own life? What was, was that something that um, um, inspired you uh, in, in some shape or way or form? Yeah, and, and the other strong influence was uh, there was a Jesuit boarding school uh, located on the outskirts of town. And they admitted a handful of uh, town's local residents. And I learned more in high school than I ever did in college. And I learned that I could compete with some very smart kids from all over the country and even other countries. So I got out of that small town the day of my high school graduation I moved to Chicago, uh, went to school there and in Madison, Wisconsin, and then moved out west to California uh, to make my fortune. 
Love that. And when you talk about skin in the game, can we, can you define what skin in the game is and then we'll go deeper into it? Yeah. Skin in the game in, in the business sense, uh, it means to risk your time, money, and reputation on a venture, a deal, on uh, your career. And it means having downside risk so that if you don't accomplish your goal, there, there are consequences. And that more than anything gets you up in the morning. And uh, in life, it, it applies equally to life. It's again, having a uh, stake, having downside risk. And if, and you see it now every day, examples of not having skin in the game are uh, internet trolls who you know, are anonymous, try to destroy people. There is no risk to them. And uh, the, it just pervades all aspects of life. Why do you think people don't put the skin in the game? I remember uh, when I was in uh, chiropractic school, I did some special uh, work. Uh, it wasn't through the school, it was outside of it, but I was, I, I heard this quote and I, and I loved it. People love to be in the court watching, I mean, I'd be in the stands watching the people play the game. And when you say skin in the game, when I heard that, I'm like, those are the people in the court. Those are the people on the, in, playing the game while there's people who are in the stands who rather be there um, calling the judgment calls, being the trolls, doing those kind of things, right? Uh, sports is a great example of it because I love when people are like, uh, baseball is something I, I'm big into and it's like, oh, look at he, look at he struck out again, can't believe it. And I'm like, you know how hard it is to hit a 90 plus mile per hour fastball, <laughs> let alone anything else? I mean, I've, I've won against it, it's hard. Um, but, you know, why is it that some people just, you know, and I don't know if I'm starting to see more of it or less of it. I, I, I kind of I'll pick I'll ask you on that one. But why do people not put their skin in the game? What 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 why don't we see more of that? I, I think uh, the natural human tendency is to to fear the unknown. And um, I can't speak for anyone other than myself. Uh, I got into commercial real estate. I was a, a first a broker, then an operator, then a developer uh, doing what I call mega deals, high-rise office buildings, shopping malls, industrial parks. And it, it was tough in the beginning and tough all along. And I had to take risks and risk a lot to move up. And that kind of a lifestyle isn't for everyone. Uh, people, I, human beings are generally nice. They, they want to avoid conflict. And when you have skin in the game, it's constant conflict and, and stress. And it's just not the natural human tendency. And I think for some, uh, there's just not the motivation. If they can get by enough uh, without taking any risk, then that's kind of their, their baseline. Well, it's like the old adage goes, right? The the more risk you take on, the more the reward. And that's that's the reality. And for you, was it, you know, because I know as an entrepreneur mindset individuals, you know, we we like for me, example, I, I like to, you know, set what my pay is going to be and say, okay, I'm I'm working towards that. And then it's like, okay, what's the next level? Was that something like you kind of went through in that aspect? Like you kept saying, Okay, I got here, great. All right, now I want to see, I want to take it to this next level. And how much can I continually expand and grow and evolve in my life? 
Yeah, it was, while it was happening, it was more intuitive. It wasn't until later. And when I started to think and write about and organize my thoughts in hindsight, that I saw that success I would define as uh, the setting of specific tangible goals. And uh, which if you achieve, you raise the stakes. And if you don't achieve, you auto-correct, set a new goal and continue on. So it was sort of a serial sequence of goal setting. But I didn't know it at the time. I was, uh, when I quit my real job, my wife was pregnant. I hated what I did. And I was flat broke. I just said, I'm never going back to that. So <laughs> that's it. That's a big jump. I mean, what was it that, so, I mean, you know, it's sometimes I, I, I've been there before where, you know, you're just like tired of what is, and you're like, I, I know, did you have like a feeling inside, like there was something else, like you just like knew that um, you wanted to, like, there was more to what you can achieve or more to life in a sense? Well, I'd, I'd like to say that I had this passion for real estate since I was a young lad, but that's just not true. I, I knew what I didn't want to do. And I thought, what are, I, I did have some prior sales experience, so I knew I could sell. I had that, that confidence. And I said, what are the biggest value assets I could think of? And those were, you know, commercial buildings. And so they must pay the biggest commission. And so that was the nature of the decision. Sometimes it's just necessity. Uh, but I, it wasn't just the, the lack of money. I, and I worked with decent people. I just hated to be told what to do uh, by someone who, you know, I felt knew less than I did. And I couldn't envision living my life that way. So well, kudos for you for going after it. I mean, it's it's one of those things where they always you hear often like saying, it's not about knowing what you want to go after. It's knowing what you don't want. Exactly. And know what you want. Right. I know I've, I've been through that journey multiple, multiple times. And so what are some things that it, it, when it comes to skin in the game, it, it was it that I know you said time, money, those kind of things, right? Because that's what you have to like kind of give up a portion. Well, not money. Well, you're making money off skin in the game if it works out. Um, what are some of the lessons that you've learned? Like, what's one of the was it always success? Were there some setbacks? Were there some failures? How did you handle those things as you were ambitiously going, keep going, moving forward? Uh, it wasn't always success. If, if there are people who experience that, I, I haven't met them or heard about them yet. Uh, it, it's it, the, the initial problem was just making money. The, the first year I did it, it was, again, I was a broker uh, purely on commission. So life was contingency. And it, it was a year before uh, I made a dime uh, back then. Uh, these investment deals. That was kind of the hardest subset of commercial real estate because they took months to put together and close if they closed at all. And so it was very high risk. And so I had you know, mouths to feed and I began to accumulate credit cards and would draw one down and get another one to pay it off. And again, this went on for a year. I had probably 12, 15 cards. Uh, but uh, I drew inspiration uh, from Reverend Ike. I don't know if that name rings the bell, but he was kind of a husk, huckster and prosperity theologian 
back in the day. And uh, his one of his quotes was, if, if I owe you $1,000 and I can't pay you, I've got a problem. And then he said, if I owe you a million dollars and I can't pay you, you got a problem. So there I went. <laughs> I like that. But you know, it's a thing you, you banked on yourself at the end of the day, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the buck stops with you. I mean, I, I know that very well because that's what I did when I started my business. I, had, I took a quarter million dollar in debt from just going to school to become a chiropractor. And then there was, and my parents didn't have money. So I had to, I was like, how am I going to get this started? ambitious and wanted to get out there. I had a vision of what I wanted to do. And I said, well, if it doesn't work, then I go work for somebody, but I'm not going to go work for somebody first. And uh, I did that. And it, it was just, it was not fun. Uh, first couple of years, it was definitely, you know, struggling away, learning a lot. And then, you know, then eventually things start to turn corner and then you're like, okay, I finally got a grasp on this. And then you just, then you, then the risk became a wonderful reward and, and just working through that. So you gained success in all that. Would you define what does success mean to you first? Well, uh, as, as a, sort of as I described earlier, I, I think success, uh, as most people use the term, uh, means financial or material success of some kind. And since we're living in the material world, uh, one needs to establish goals, and these are tangible and specific. You know, I'm going to start a business and be profitable within 18 months or whatever. Uh, and, and they're measurable, so you know if you've achieved the goal or how you're doing. Uh, particularly in the world of business, it all comes down to, you know, making money or the promise of money. Uh, the, the problem becomes when uh, you achieve material success, uh, but you're still unhappy or you're, you know, you're extremely wealthy uh, and you're an asshole, but you maybe not, don't care. So the problem becomes how do you align your core values with your success kind of as you go along? And uh, this is much easier said than done, because in the moment, trying, trying to put a large deal together, you're, you're not thinking about anything other than closing the deal. Uh, the, the author Yale Doctoral described writing as driving at night in the fog. Uh, you, you can just see to your headlights and not beyond. Uh, you, but you can still finish your journey, but it's not until you complete it and look back and see all the, the turns you took that maybe sh shouldn't have taken or whatever. So you're in the moment and, um, and your personal life, as in my case, can spiral out of control uh, because you're just, you're not only focusing, yeah, you know how much time it takes to run your own business, no matter what it is. It's, it's all consuming. If you have a you know family and you have uh, what should be other priorities as well, and those are neglected, or uh, you just make the the decision that uh, those are less important, uh, then things can get out of hand pretty quickly. When we look at then with your book, the other side of success, what's that? 
it's well the it's obviously the the flip side of the coin is what's the what's the human cost to achieve these goals and in my case it was a lifetime of uh, finding out the hard way and uh, with through direct visceral experience and and also at times you know educating myself uh, but um, that's the the greater the greater adventure and um, it, when when I work with people, uh, particularly younger people, and they they want to know the the seven secrets, or the five habits, or whatever. I said, look, look, if there was a secret, you know, Goldman Sachs would have put a syndicate together and bought a long time ago. So you can kind of forget that. Uh, but but I ask them, what is it that you believe to be true, from the top down? If you believe that life starts at zero and ends at zero, uh, then that's fine. And you're gonna live your life in a certain way. And what you do in business or in any endeavor uh, should align with that. And it's the misalignment that you know, makes you unhappy. Uh, but if you believe there's more to life than meets the eye and you develop core values, uh, then you need to live according to those to be true to yourself. If you don't, there's a misalignment and you're unhappy. That's kind of my take on it. I like it. Creating congruencies, right? If you have core values, but then your actions are going actually against those core values, you create that incongruency in life. And then it makes it, I would say it would make it harder for you to get to where you want to get to. Well, yeah, you can still get, again, to the material goal of success, the financial, you know, high net worth, you know, the Tories, whatever, but you're not going to be, quote, happy. So, and you can accept that as your life. And most people do. And I find that interesting. I think there's a, you know, at least in the group, the groups that I'm, the, the, the networks that I'm a part of, um, the, the, the shift has been from financial wealth. And it's some of my coaching that I do too. When I work with entrepreneurs and, and chiropractors, it's all about, you know, yeah, this is great. We'll help you financially, but we are looking at totality of your life, right? The whole being, um, because it's not, we're not here just to you know, show how much money we make and the toys we have. I mean, those, not that that's nice, not, not, it's not a bad thing to have nice things, but it's one of those things where there's, there's a deeper meaning. There's a deeper aspect to life. Um, in your book, do you dive into those kind of concepts? I know we're talking a little about it now, but um, yeah, I know you mentioned like relationships and stuff like that. Is that discussed in your book? Yeah, the book, uh, before I wrote it, uh, I had done some other writing. I, I dropped out of the business in uh, 2012 and uh, didn't know what I was going to do. And so I started working on some personal non-business projects and then uh, started writing. Uh, did some screenplays, some essays, and then a uh, developmental editor I was working with, you know, who got to know me, said, you know, you, you've had a pretty interesting life and you've known some characters and uh, maybe you should write a memoir. And I said, well, that's kind of a narcissistic exercise. And if it was just a pure business bio, I mean, that's been done, <laughs> done a lot and done better than I could do. So 
I, I, I thought about it and I said, well, maybe the real story is not just the business success where you have a one-dimensional protagonist, you know, no matter who it is, right? They, they overcome obstacles in the course of business, but you don't hear about, you know, their mistress ruining their marriage or any of that. Uh, you, and you see the, the business moguls, they maintain a pretty good publicity staff and control the message. Uh, so to, to be that open and honest would be contrary to their best interest in terms of business. So I said, you know, this, at this stage, um, uh, if I can be as truthful as I can and give a raw accounting of my personal life, and the book kind of toggles back and forth, you know, scenes, business scenes in conflict and then personal, and then maybe that'll give more of a whole integrated uh, message because I, I try to compartmentalize my life, but that doesn't really work. You only one person, you know, with one head and one brain, there may be two sides to the brain, but it's still just you. So that became the book. I wish more, you know, people would be more authentic in their ways where you hear, because I mean, I get it. There's a business concept. You got to hold that image and, and keep it to a certain level. But I think there's also a beauty about showing your humanness in that, you know, we make errors and whatever that may be. And that is, you know, we all have faults. We all have weaknesses. There's things that we're always working on and no one's perfect. And it's this, it's one of those things where I think that I think there's a shift in that where instead of being that clear cut looking like always being good and, you know, look at like, like no one, like I always, there's part of some groups I'm a part of, like if it's an investing or if it's in uh, some other arenas, they always show their successes. Right. I'm like, where's your failures? Oh no, what do you mean? I don't have many, I don't have many failures. No, 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 no. You have failures. Where are they? Like, especially if you're investing in stocks or something, there's failures coming out of that one. I know you can't predict everything to be right. Um, even Warren Buffett can't do that. So it's like one of those things where, showing that humanist, like, well, we all make, I make faults, I made mistakes. And, and I know for me, my biggest massive transformations were having a mentor or a guide who was authentic and said, hey, I don't have it all together. I'm, I'm making it up as I go sometimes. And it's not like I'm saying that I'm going to create this and it's going to be successful. I'm creating something and I'm going to mold it as I go and try to get better. And then hopefully it catches and then I can work off that. Yeah, well yeah, exactly. And if you happen to find a mentor who, A, has your best interests at heart, and that's not easy, and B, is truly technically proficient in whatever the arena is, it can save you a lot of time. Uh, but you're, you're still going to take your knocks. In life, you just can't avoid those. It's just no matter what you have, you're going to have to take them regardless. I think the Buddha and a lot of people since him believe that the default setting for life is, is suffering. And it's <laughs> moving away from that, having those occasional moments of, of, quote, happiness, which I believe is not an end, but just, you know, byproduct of life well lived. You know, so it all depends how you look at life. But I think there's some truth to that. I think there's always, you know, when it comes to this, you know, I love that quote by Buddha uh, and it was something that kind of helped me understand that you won't, you know, I tried, my old mentality was I had so much pain in life that I didn't want, I wanted to get away from it and not have it anymore. Um, so I thought once I get to a certain level, that will happen. And then you get there and you're like, 
this it's still here how maybe it morphed it changed it has a different face but it's there like why Uh, Uh, you know and it's one of those things where but then i said okay well how can i live with this if i have to live with it what can it teach me how then you just rephrase the question and all of a sudden it changed my whole entire life in a different way when you know again comes down to what you believe to be true is that so is belief is belief something that dictates your life then yeah, it, it did both in, in sort of the subconscious sense and in the uh, practical sense. I was uh, uh, an altar boy. I grew up Catholic in this little town. I was an altar boy, and then I went to the Jesuit uh, high school. But then I, I never stopped believing, but I just lost the practice of my faith, um, like many people there wasn't one moment. It was just the gradual drifting away. And that was the secularism, you know, over the past 50 years. And it, it wasn't until um, I had some life shockers that got me to reconsider that. And eventually I returned to the practice of my faith many years later. And so that's uh, how I dealt with it. So when it comes to your life, you know, you know, being a you know risk taker, right? When we take risks, sometimes, you know, the bigger the risk, some, it is bigger the reward, but it also is bigger the loss, too, if it doesn't work out. Um, how did you deal with, you know, grief and recovery? How did you rebound back when you had a big hit or a big loss, maybe business or personal? Um, how did you handle that? Well, the, the business, the business losses, um, I, I just dusted myself up and, you know, next deal. I mean, it, you know, it, it was, there were sleepless nights and, you know, but, but, but it was never the, oh, I can't do this or, you know, it, it was the personal side that was much more impactful. And uh, the biggest event, my, my second wife, um, she was much like myself. She came from the rural South. And after finishing high school, got on a bus, headed to California and to do what she had to do. I think young people today don't don't really understand how. Uh, and she didn't have a, you know, a handheld gadget uh, to give her comfort or to connect her with anyone. So... Uh, but uh, to make a long story short, uh, she became my uh, spiritual mentor and moral compass. Uh, I got got through alcoholism uh, primarily because uh, I did some things as described in the book, uh, and she gave me one, one, one more shot, or that was it. And uh, which is when I wouldn't have done if I were in her shoes. And so she was the, the most impactful person on my life, kind of all around. And then one night um, she dropped dead and there is nothing to prepare one for that experience. There just isn't. So overcoming grief, um, there was the. The, the, there were two there were two problems. The first was just making it through the next the, the near term. 
through the memorial service. Then I had thoughts of suicide and just getting to the point where you're you're ready to move on. Now, like where life returns to normal because it never will, uh, but just ready to either move on or not. And then the second is, uh, what's the takeaway and what permanent changes do you make in your life as a result of what you've learned from this experience? So that was my way of dealing with grief. And uh, I'm pretty self-directed in most things. And I went to, you know, a therapist and she said, you seem to have things worked out well on your own, you know, keep doing it. You know, I studied death. I, I did a number of things. And, but it's, it's individualized. Uh, you have to find out what works for you. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, that, that's something tough. You have somebody, I mean, I can just imagine because my wife is my, she's my backbone, right? And, and she balances me and keeps me centered and, and I can bounce ideas off her. And she's, she's just a great ass. She's, she's my, I always tell people, she's the one person I want to make the most proud of every single day. And, you know, it's one of those things where I can only imagine if she just, that happened. I, you don't know what you'll go through until you're there. Right. And then exactly. you have to, yeah. and then from there, it's, it's like you said, you had suicide, you had other things in there. Um, but it's, it's, this is where like life slaps you in the face and like really shakes you up. And it's like, okay, I have to redirect my purpose in life now because this is what my identity was before. And now I have to make a shift into a whole new one. People, people who have experienced extreme loss or, uh, and they, they can be any age. And I found over the years from the first time I meet them, you know, just in first five, 10 seconds, I have a sense that they may have gone through something. You just, you, you, you're not the same afterwards. It's just is what it is. You said you studied death. I, I've, I've done my, my uh, couple of years. I actually did three years of studying, reading books and, and, and so much on death. What's your opinion of death? You don't mind me asking. Oh, I hate to be repetitive, but it's, it's a function of what you believe to be true. Um, my life experiences and, uh, have, have led me to the point where I believe death is not the end, uh, but another doorway. And that's me. And so if one believes that, then that has a profound impact on how one lives one's life. Because um, you're, you're, you're doing the best you can in the moment, but you're also seeing where the puck is going. And <laughs> have your eye on the next journey or adventure. And so you, you, it's like three-dimensional chess. Like that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's, it, I love how you always bring it back to the belief because, you know, I wrote a book, my first book, and I talk a lot about the power of belief and the constructs of how it gets developed and then what really belief is. And it's, it's one of those things where, um, especially in death, right? It, it's, um, I had to go through my own journeys understanding that, but it's, it, I had to, I don't know if you ever heard the phrase, if you have, if you lose the fear on death, that's the moment you start living. 
right? Because it's the number two thing in the in all of humans, what we fear. It's amazing how public speaking is still number one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, really? Public speaking? You can just go and practice. And, you know, I used to not like public speaking. Now it's I can do it like with no problem. But it's one of those things where I'm like, death, though, you know, no one has ever uh, come. Well, I, I don't agree with this statement because everyone's like, no one has ever come back and told us what's on the other side. I'm like, well, there's people who've had near-death experiences and they tell you some some stories. Um, but in the essence of it all, it's like, yeah, no one's gotten out of here alive, in other words, physically speaking. Yeah, I, I, I did. I mean, I did Zen meditation. I studied Judaism and its practices, obviously, you know, with the, uh, the Catholic uh, beliefs were around it. Uh, I joined um, a group called the Ernest Becker Foundation. And this is described in the book. Uh, he's not well known, but he won the Pulitzer Prize in 1973 for a book called The Denial of Death. Um, and uh, ironically, he it was awarded po posthumously because he died at the age of 49 of cancer. So, uh, but he had he had been in the war. He he was with the troops that you know, found the death camps and did all that. He was an atheist and uh, regained this belief later in life. Uh, but, but but his was, I think, the best secular explanation of why people do the things they do. And he said, we're, we're born with this problem. He said, we have conscious self-awareness. We know there's a we and we know there's a they. Uh, and then coupled with that, we also know that we're, we have the knowledge of certain depth. You put those two together and that in his mind explained a lot of human misery because then the challenge becomes, well, if you obsess over it, you're, you're gonna go crazy. So how do you deal with it? And his theory was that we, we each create as individuals and as societies, immortality projects where uh, we project to others around ourselves um, that and ideas and self-beliefs that uh, will last forever. And so we'll conquer our own death by virtue of, you know, believing in these projects. Now, that can be good if your project is to cure cancer, but bad if you know you're, you know Stalin or Hitler. So uh, I supported the organization and then later sponsored uh, seminars with academics and that. Uh, it was it was interesting. I like that. I mean, I think there's something that we, you know, and I, I, I was born, I was raised Roman Italian Catholic. We have very similar backgrounds. I was an altar boy, all that fun stuff. And I, st I read the Bible twice when I was in high school, freshman year and my senior year. And I can't, like, now I'm looking back going, I got to read it again because it's, I, I forgot a lot of the stories. But, um, but one of the things I always was, was shocked by is like, because I look at why does the fear of death exist? So there has to be a programming and a culture, you know, culture belief somewhere. And when you look, read some, you know, religious texts, it's like, yeah, you, like in the, in the Catholic, uh, it's like you have one life and only one life. And, you know, if you do not act a certain way and get rid of original sin and Jesus only can save you, you're going to hell. And I was always like, that's scary. 
Like, I only have this one life, one life to live. That's it. And yet, if I don't do things right, I'm already damned as it is. I came into this world damned. So I'm already an original sinner. So then it's like, I'm, I'm already an original sinner. I got the mark. And then I can't uh, clear that off in any way, shape or form. And I just have to pray to heck to Jesus that day. I have to surrender to God. I'm not worthy unless you accept me. All these things. I was always like, that just doesn't seem right. But it took me years later to where I was a, I, I was in an environment where I can start asking questions without having shame or guilt come back at me. Cause I was just a curious kid who wanted to understand deeper. Um, Cause you say you studied Judaism, uh, Judaism, right? Was that what, and some other yeah. religions. Mm-hmm. Did you, cause I've studied Hinduism and Buddhism. And then I started to look at a few different others and I was like, there's actually some themes here. There's actually some interesting concepts that they talk about. Um, did you kind of have that epiphany when you were looking, reading, studying other religions? I, th- there was, again, not a moment because I never really lost my faith. I, even when I did nothing and acted contrary to, you know, uh, ethics or whatever you want to call it. I still believed in a personal God. Uh, I still believed in the power of prayer and kind of the core tenets. And and I believed in an afterlife. And uh, I had some, uh, not to go too far sideways, but <laughs> when after my wife passed, uh, we had known a psychic medium for probably five years before then. And I'm not here to convince your listeners uh, on on that whole matter. Uh, Suffice it to say, I was a hardened skeptic. And uh, the people I dealt with on deals are ones whose names you see in the paper and um, masters of illusion in terms of of, uh, getting their way. Uh, But uh, I came to believe there was just a tiny percentage, sort of an asymmetrical distribution of people who had the ability to access information, very valuable information in unexplainable ways. And uh, and so I took advantage of it. But uh, this intuitive Mary Jo, she was instrumental in helping me, you know, deal with, with my wife's passing. And I learned that love can survive physical death. So, yeah, don't worry. I, I've talked many times. I talked about it in my book. I've connected with mediums uh, quite some time. Uh, it's because it was part of my journey of understanding death and wanting to understand the spiritual world as much as I possibly could so that I can understand then my more purpose here. Like, okay, this is what I'm here for now. Here's what my soul needs. Here's what this is there. Now I can go ahead and be able to be like, all right, this is, I'm going to make the best out of this because I know there's a party waiting for me. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's, it's, you, you never get to a point where, aha, okay, now I know it. It's, there's always doubt and questioning. That's part of the thing, but it's, it's where it's kind of becomes binary where, what basket you put your eggs in. Uh, you put them in the, in, the, the, in religion and spirituality and, and believe that's where core values are shaped. But uh, it's, but these are all in, when it becomes institutional, 
they're institutions of human beings who screw up a lot, if not most of the time. Or do you put it in the basket of uh, secular humanism, for lack of a better word, where you know there's always the promise of the perfect utopia, uh, but never seems to occur. And when push comes to shove, when you look at history, particularly uh, the 20th century and the totalitarian atheistic regimes and where that goes, uh, then, then it becomes like, I think like uh, Winston Churchill's uh, comments on democracies. He said, it's the worst of all possible systems except for all the others, so. Until we can lose that person, that interest, right? Everything's always driven by interest and rather than um, leading to serving the whole or the masses, um, that's where, you know, because in my world in health, I see it all the time. There's so many things out there that exist that mainstream media doesn't even touch or want to talk about and all these things. And I'm like, but these can help so many people. It's not like it's, crazy or out there, you know, but it, it's just understanding certain things. And if we can just work at that level, it changes the game, but there's special interest out there, specifically certain corporations that control the information and say, mm -mm, we're not going to let that out no matter what happens, right? Because it hurts their bottom line. I think that inhibits some of it. And that's, an, and I've seen that in a lot of different other industries. You know, and it's, it's, it's really become pervasive just really in the last few years, I mean, um, and it, in everyday life, and you have your average family, right, and they send their kids to school, and then the kids come home and tell them what they've been taught, and they say, though, that's <clears throat> just patently untrue, it's factually untrue, and the kid starts crying, and all oh, the teacher told me, but it isn't. And but then they say, well, you know, uh, gee, you know, it's maybe not that big of a deal. And they don't say anything. And this is about most things now you see where people are, have been quiet and they haven't said anything. Uh, oh, yeah, let them have this and maybe it'll, maybe it'll go away. Yeah, but it doesn't because they don't understand what's going on. And then then eventually it's like, oh, this is awful. How do we get here? Well, you need to you need to say something and put skin in the game. By saying something, you have the risk of being ostracized or chastised or whatever, sometimes even lose your job. But that's skin in the game. If you say nothing, uh, we know what happens because I've studied this <laughs> And my parents' experience, and, and it's not fiction, that's factual, that's what happens. So I have one question, and you can say, I don't want to answer this, or you do. Do you feel like where we are now in the world with everything going on, is it a resemblance of what was going on back then? And, and with, yeah, I mean, because there's a lot of people that say Mark that. Twain, as Mark Twain said, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And yes, this when, when you see the language that's being used, uh, if you, you even took the time to read two or three 
history books, which are factually true, you would see this, the language is from the Soviet playbook. It's the exact language. This isn't something new and exciting, you know. It's just, it's, it's, it's almost unimaginative in its use of language. So Appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, it's something that, I mean, I, another thing too I learned over time is that the ones who write history are always the ones who have won. And so when someone told me that, I was like, all right, I got to go find how I can learn about history that wasn't what I was taught, nor is accepted main, you know, in the main status quo region and see if I could find some stuff that would give me more concrete things. And when I started that Pandora box, I was blown away and it gave me a seeing and understanding. Then I see how everything is and I'm going, uh-huh, this is how things are going to lead to this. This is where the game's going to go here. And then friends of mine who thought I was crazy because uh, I'm from the health side of everything, sharing information. I don't hold back. Even my wife's like, you got to tone it down. I'm like, I'm not going to. Like, if I see something that doesn't is not truthful in some way, shape, or form, or they're trying to submit or uh, what's the word I use? Um, manipulate limit people. Yeah, manipulate people in a certain way. Um, I, I have to speak out. I can't sit here. I don't care if it hurts my business. I've lost patience over this. But I'm like, I don't care because at the end of the day, I feel better going to bed at night knowing I'm sharing what I know. And it's funny because now a year, a little over a year later, people are coming out going, thank you for sharing what you've been. You've been, I've seen the people call you names. I've seen trolls come at you. I've seen people say all these things to you and yet you didn't care. And I was like, because it's not about me at the end of the day. It is not about me at the end of the day. I don't make money off this. I always tell people like, listen to people who are sharing information that don't make money off the information they're sharing. They're going to be more, they're going to be more truthful and honest. They have no agenda behind it. Well, you're a living example of putting skin in the game. You, you say what you need to say. It's, it's at the risk. There's downside risk, but it's in alignment with your core values. And there you go. Well, I appreciate you, brother. Um, Real quick, before we wrap up, tell me if you can share with the listeners how they can find you, your book, and everything that you're up to. Uh, the book uh, is called The Other Side of Success, and the subtitle is Money and Meaning in the Golden State. So it takes place in San Francisco, Oakland, Los Angeles, uh, in, during the, the coming of age of technology and all the other things. Um, it's uh, I have a website. Uh, the easiest thing is just go to the website, martinsawa.com, M-A-R-T-I-N-S-A-W-A. And there with one click, you can buy the book in uh, whatever format you want from Amazon or the bookseller of your choice. Uh, with another click, uh, you can check me out on social media or listen to some of my archived interviews. And with another click, you scroll to the bottom, and can send me an email and I love to hear from my readers. Awesome. I'll have that listeners all in the show notes. Martin, it was awesome chatting with you. Uh, appreciate you sharing your story and everything and teaching all of us how what skin in the game means and how to go, you know, make, you know, risk versus reward and all that good stuff. I appreciate what you're doing. And thank you so much. Uh, thanks so much, Dr. Vic. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing it with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling. 
thanks for tuning into the podcast. If you found this episode to be inspirational, pay it forward by sharing with someone that you know can benefit from this. If this is your first time tuning in, please follow us, connect with us so you don't miss another amazing episode. And until next time, keep rocking and rolling.